Welcome into the Lions Lair. I'm your host, Noah Reif, joined today by John Sauber, Penn State football and basketball beat reporter, as well as Daniel Gallen, Penn State beat reporter for Penn Live. How are y'all both doing? John, you're last because we oh, have a guest on. today. Yeah, well, How you doing, Daniel? Enough. I'm doing great. I really appreciate you guys having me on on this uh, wonderful Monday afternoon in it's beautiful. central Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's the, the perfect central Pennsylvania weather. It's 60 raining, raining. <laughs> uh, kind of kind of muggy outside. Don't want to be out there much. It's perfect for me. I love the rain. I don't know why everyone complains. That's a bad take. <laughs> I am I am a Seattleite. What can I say? It's in my blood. That's but true. Let's jump in here first to Penn State football. We finally have some Penn State football news. Uh, the combine is happening or happened, um, and let's talk about that. We have who are who are our winners from the combine to start out. I'll let Dan. Actually, no. I'll take this first and let Daniel do the losers first because we had uh, we had a little conversation beforehand about that. But to me, like. I think Jahan Dotson was one of the clear winners here. Uh, I know people will, you know, are not as high on the four four three as as they would have been had he run four threes. Like I think a lot of people thought he could, but when Chris Olave, who is a downfield burner, comes out and runs a four three nine, only four tenths of a four hundredths, hundredths, hundredths. Tenths, hundredths yeah, math isn't easy. <laughs> uh, four hundredths of a second faster than him, and that's sort of his bread and butter. I think it's a really good sign for Dotson. Um, he he killed. I, I know these drills are a lot of them are tough to take any value from, but like the gauntlet is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to make look easy. At least like a lot of times, guys look like they're not really catching the ball. They look like they're not staying on a straight line. I thought he killed that. His focus is always fantastic with those things. And then when they run those individual drills, he's clearly advanced as a technician in his route running in a way that a lot of these guys aren't. Everything he d- does is very smooth. It looks concise. It looks intentional. And frankly, there aren't like this is a really good receiver class. A lot of guys have different advantages. I think he, off the top of my head, is arguably the most polished of these wide receivers. The guy who can come in and do the most, despite the the size concerns. And I don't think we were surprised sort of by the weight there. Yeah, I think the polish is what's going to separate him from some of these other guys. Obviously, measuring at the size, five eleven, one seventy eight. Um, that's kind of the the shorter and the lighter side of this wide receiver class. But the other guys, there's, it's kind of you have to develop. There's a lot of development that comes. Um, obviously, Drake London is someone who is enormous, big basketball player type. But and it terrifies me as an Eagles fan that he's <laughs> going to be JJ Ortega Whiteside all over again. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest question mark surrounding Dotson going into this was that frame 5'11", 178. Uh, he was listed at one eighty four last year uh, at Penn State. But I think he makes up for some of that in terms of his polish. You look at some of the bigger bodied wide receivers in the class, like Drake London from USC. I mean, that's really alluring, really appealing. Um, I'm a sucker for 6'4", 220, can run, can jump. I mean, I I love that type of wide receiver. But I think with Dotson, you're going to get someone who is really advanced uh, in terms of route running, um, will always be in the right place. And then for someone who is that size, his catch radius is absurd. Um, and he'll be able to make a lot of quarterbacks look good. So I think Dodson is someone who just kind of he just kind of went in and needed to not mess up. Uh, running in the four threes would have been nice. Um, little cherry on top. I assume that when he's at Penn State uh, Pro Day, he'll be at four four three or better. Um, just given how these things tend to go, a little downwind, a little faster track. You know, the pro days do it the right. Yeah, thing. didn't didn't have to warm up inside the Indiana Convention Center or, right. or whatever. Uh, you know, running at I don't know, like 
one in the afternoon instead of seven at night. One of my favorite things from the combine I covered was when you were just like in the hallways of the convention center, dudes were just like warming up and let's like, you, it feels like there should be a facility for this where you shouldn't be like running down the hallway with like us very much out of shape sports reporters, like meandering down the hallway on the other side. It really reminded me of like a high school track meet where yes. there's just bodies everywhere uh, with people like sleeping in the bleachers, people finding any wall to like put their legs up on and, and stretch, you know, someone doing strides or sprints. Like, it's like airport rules. Yeah, exactly. It's wherever you can get it, you got to do it. Yeah. But I, I do think, uh, it's interesting to me with Dotson. I think the only concern with the size for some people, and it's not for me, uh, you know, some people I've talked to in the NFL have said the they're sort of worried he can't uh, sort of get off the line of scrimmage uh, as well as you'd like. And, and listen, he's 178 pounds. He's not going to be elite at it. But I would argue he's good enough at it, and he's quick enough off the line where that's not going to be that big of an issue. I haven't done the work yet because, as you know, I'd like to do these things, the scouting stuff. But, like, I haven't done the work yet on this entire class. But to me, he's a clear first-round grade kind of guy. Um, I wouldn't hesitate to take him in the top 20 or so. If you get him in the back end of the first, I think that's a steal. I would be shocked if he's not a number two receiver in the NFL uh, someday. But, you know, as of now, he's probably going to come in and contribute right away because of the route running, because of the ability uh, to bring in those catches. That, that, that sort of aren't on target. And as we've seen, uh, there are a lot of quarterbacks right now that aren't necessarily always on target, and he pretty much had to have one for the last three years. Yeah, and I think one thing that stands out with me with Dotson, too, is that I think that where he is kind of projected to go in the draft now and, and how he's slated to go, it could bode really well for him to have a big rookie year because you look at the back half of the first round, uh, there's mock drafts that have him going to the Chiefs. Um, I think there were a couple that had him going to the Titans, um, a lot of those teams on the back end already have a bona fide number one, uh, and that will take a lot of gravity and a lot of pressure off of him. And I think that that'll really give him a chance to to thrive early on, as opposed to if he were to go in kind of the the top half. I mean, obviously we saw what Jamar Chase did last year, um, but at the same time, I mean, he was still playing with Tyler Boyd um, and, and T. Higgins, who are you know competent receivers. But I think that. Obviously, if you're Jahan Dotson, you want to go as high as possible because that's how you make as much money as possible, which is obviously a big part of this. Um, But I think he's very, very um, well positioned to to be able to make some things happen um, and then be one of the better rookie receivers in this draft class. And so who who else stood out to you then? I know, like, obviously, I bring up Dotson, but this was it's so weird because, you know, I I did a winners and losers story. You can find that on CenterDaily.com. But it's so weird. You can. It's harder to find losers, like like you were talking about before the podcast, and it makes it also harder to find winners because it's like everyone. Because Penn State guys generally test well, but but who stood out to you outside of Dotson? I mean, you have to look at Tariq Castro-Fields running the the four three eight. Uh, that really surprised me. Um, obviously, he had the the track background. I was reading some of his scouting reports, and all these guys come in, and a lot of them run track, and they've all kind of got that uh, that athleticism um, in in their back pocket, but. I feel like Castro Fields during his time at Penn State, he was more of a more of a size guy than a than a skills guy. I guess if that makes sense, um, that he wasn't known for that speed. He wasn't someone we're coming into it where you thought, oh yeah, he's going to test really really well. So I was surprised to see that, um, and kind of he's going to be the guy that uh, Penn State fans are baffled when he goes as high as he does. Yes. I think that especially after going sub four four. Obviously, that'll play on special teams in terms of punt coverage and kick coverage. And then he's got the size to go with it. He's set. Um, it's just kind of, is he going to 
I think he could go early on day three. Would not be a surprise if he was a fourth-round pick. Um, if someone wants to take him in the third round, go for it. I was going to say it feels like with the measurables, the 6'1", I think he's in that one, the 190s, high 180s, something like that. Uh, he is the kind of guy that you can take and just convince yourself that it's all going to work out for. Um, the film doesn't always back it up, and as I think you would agree, like especially his ability to track the ball was lacking, right? Like He just didn't get his head around enough in the NFL, and that matters. You bring up the special teams, which I think is an important point for a lot of these guys. The speed is going to play as a gunner. What won't play is the tackling, which yes. didn't happen uh, almost ever yeah. at Penn State. And it's something he's going to improve on. He has the physicality to do it, and he has the tools to do it. So I think you're right. I think teams will definitely talk themselves into it. But if they if they watch him against the run, it's it's a little bit less enticing. Um, but yeah, I, I think the other guy I think that stands out is is the obvious one in Brandon Smith. Uh, and he was supposed to test like an athletic freak. He pretty much did. I, th- I honestly kind of thought he would run in the four fours. We had talked about that off pod. Uh, but he is he's someone who's going to get taken on measurables. You're going to have to throw out the film entirely. You're going to pretend you didn't watch him. And I, I honestly think the best route is to, to try to make him an edge. Try to try to make him a pass rusher. Use that athleticism. Use his flexibility, which I think is his best attribute, uh, and his bend and his ability to get off the edge uh, to make him sort of a, a, a potentially a high level pass rusher in the NFL. Yeah, I think with Smith, it was it was kind of weird because you didn't have that one number that really popped. He didn't have that four four. It wasn't like Parsons and Oa last right. year where every single number you're just like whoa, and he didn't test at the top of the of the linebacker rankings really uh in anything he was like top five he didn't have that one thing where you were like oh he did it but when you put all of his testing together with his size uh with his weight um i think that that full picture created a very very appealing prospect and i think that the question for him is kind of how far on day two that he climbs i think there is one mock draft that had him going number 100 overall, so back end of the third round to the Ravens, um, which would probably be a good fit for him. He would be able to do some things uh, in that defense, but I think that he'll definitely be maybe closer to the top 75. He could even be a pretty early on day two prospect if a team falls in love with him enough. He is, to me, the kind of guy that when, you know, whoever it is takes him, a fan base will look at him and be like, oh my God, look at these measurables. Like, Like, this is an excellent linebacker. Uh, and then in like two years, everyone's like, what happened? Why didn't it pan out? And then you sort of go back and watch college tape and it doesn't, you know, I, I'm not saying he's going to bust, so I, I, but I don't think you want him at linebacker in the NFL. I, I, unless he's a three, four outside linebacker, you really don't want him operating in space. He was too often getting lost. And, 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 uh, anytime he was asked to play in space, anytime he was asked to sort of diagnose where he's supposed to be in his zone, track his guys, he was getting lost a little bit there against the run. He's not as good of a tackler as you would want him to be, right? Especially as someone as physically imposing as he is. He measured at what? 65 235 something like that somewhere. 63 250, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah I figured I inverted the 3 and the 5 there. But like still, he's enormous, right? Yeah. And he's has the size to be an edge and like I said that athleticism that bend gives him an advantage there um that that guys don't inherently have and and I think if you're taking him, you shouldn't expect him to play right away. Do you think that's that's fair with what we've seen from him in his few years at Penn State? I think so. I think that obviously it goes for every uh, rookie in this draft, every rookie ever, is that a lot of it, it's just so situational yeah. where you land. But I think that some of these guys, it's more of a case than the others. Um, like you look at Micah Parsons last year, no matter where he ended up, 
he was going to be good. You you just knew that. Um, and the Cowboys were able to, to unlock some unique things with him. But you look at Brandon Smith, I think that he'll need to be somewhere where he can be developed, where there's kind of guardrails put in there. Um, Rasheed Walker is kind of the same way. Like Daniel Jeremiah on a conference call a couple weeks ago said that where it's going to depend on where he lands um, to the success that he has. Whereas I think you look at Dotson, you look at Jaquan Brisker, um, you even look at Arnold Evichetti a little bit that I think that it doesn't matter as much where those guys land because of the types of players that they are and because of their, their traits and skill sets. Maybe this is a take, but I think uh, Ebiketti and, and uh, Brisker are going to be the two best players from this class for Penn State. As much as I think Dotson's going to succeed in the NFL, I think if you have to pick two guys who can be in the top five of their position in five to seven years, I think those are the clear choices. Choices. Ebiketti's length and athleticism was was I mean, you knew he was a good athlete. You knew he could get around the edge, but like seeing some of the the, the jumping numbers that he put together, you could see the explosion. Uh, and then Brisker, honestly, what did he run a four four nine before yep. he and, and he did it while hurt, uh, according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. To run a four four nine with a hurt back, as I sat and complained to you guys about having a bad back before we started recording, like I don't know how he ran at all, right? Like and to hurt it while he was benching too. Uh, if he at at the pro day runs in the four threes, I think uh, Tig Brown tweeted that he expected him to run in like the four twos or <laughs> yeah. four threes. But I don't know about a four two for Jaquan. I I think he's he's an awesome football player, and I think he's a really good athlete and underrated. But if he gets in the four threes, to me that is and again he's the, he's the other guy here that uh, and we can lead into the losers next. But like benefited from the limited stuff that he did. Yeah, Brisker is someone where uh, last week on uh, on Penn Lives, uh, Penn State football podcast, the Blue White Breakdown, uh, <laughs> with me, Dustin Hawkinsmith, Bob Flounders, um, had to get the plug in there. Yeah, of course. Of um, course. I was talking about Brisker, and it was kind of the thing where he's a really good athlete, and but he's also such a good leader, and he has those intangibles that those kind of almost overshadow how much of a just a good football player he is. I think that because you played through pain, because he was hurt, he was always kind of, it seemed like he was playing through something. He was was always popping his shoulder back into place. (laughs) Yeah, he was was battling uh, that. I think that he kind of got almost branded as kind of this gritty, like, you know, that In the box, like, run defender. Yeah, gritty, hard worker. Like, I think that he got a little underrated in terms of just his innate physical gifts and I think that the combine was going to be a really good opportunity for him to show those off. And I think he did with his bench press with the 22 reps, just to kind of show pound for pound how strong he is. Uh, But then, of course, him going through the rest of the drills with with the bad back that just plays right back into his intangibles, greediness narrative. Uh, So I really hope at pro day he's healthy so he can just kind of go do the testing because I think that he's the type of player who will blow it out of the water. And, and Brisker is someone that I think it's fair to say, like a lot of us always root for. He's always a great kid with the media. And uh, he is, I, I'll never forget the the Wisconsin game. He spoke after the game about that interception he had late in the game that, that helped seal the deal uh, about, he saw Jake Ferguson, Wisconsin's tight end about to run stick nod, knew it was coming. I think he took a step back to yep. bait him into it and then drove on the ball and picked him off. And like, that's the kind of stuff that you're not going to see from a lot of guys at that level, right? Like I think Kyle Hamilton's probably clearly ahead of him among safeties. I don't think that's a knock on Brisker. I think Hamilton has a chance to be a generational guy out of Notre yep. Dame. Uh, it's like six, three and like two twenty, and runs like a deer, like his sort of the prototypical, like massive safety that can help all over the field. But if he's not in this class, I think Brisker's the clear, the clear top safety. Uh, I think he can help you in every facet of the game. And I think he, like you said, if he's healthy for the pro day, he's got a chance to really show out 
but I mean, I think we've run through every winner. I'll let you go first on these losers because I don't, I don't know if you have any because again, like we said, these guys always test well. I have I have a couple specific ones and maybe I'm cheating a little bit with some of them, but I'll let you go first if you have any. No, I mean, I think that it was a tough weekend for Jesse Lucchetta to to come up with that injury, um, the official forty time that he, I guess, gets stuck with from this is four eight nine. Um, which obviously I, I think he's a little faster than that. I hope he is. <laughs> um, but at the same time though, his, his vertical was really, really good. Uh, I think his vertical was the same as Ebiketti. Um, and those are kind of two different types of players, uh, with that project in, in two different ways. So I think for Lucetta, that was just kind of tough. Um, obviously, Rashid Walker didn't test, but he was banged up at the end of last year. So yeah, we saw him in a walking boot. Or Mark Brennan of Lions Two Four Seven saw him in a walking boot initially at the Outback Bowl when the team arrived, and he's on crutches. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. been on crutches and didn't play last two games. So he's he's someone where you kind of I think it was I was doing combine prep and I was like, oh wait, Rashid didn't play at the yeah. end of the year. Should probably pump the brakes on what kind of week he'll have. Um, so we'll see where that is, and I think he is kind of in a tough situation. Um, where his tape was so up and down last year um, and that his the, everyone knows the physical tools are there, but he doesn't have the numbers to explicitly be like, these are the physical tools. So he's someone that I think, through no fault of his own, um, had kind of not the, the best weekend. I guess his was a neutral weekend. Yeah, well, and, and I think that he did lose a little steam because of it, right? And that's sort of, yeah. like when we say losers, like none of these guys are losers, right? Like it's it's it, it's sort of just the the... the appropriate phrase given the situation but yeah I, uh as we know Rashid Walker always finishes his blocks as he made sure to, to make note of uh especially when facing his high school rivals but I, I thought there were two things that stood out to me uh first were I think you're spot on with Luketa. the injury really hurt him uh and Brisker too honestly because like you said he was someone that I, I included as a loser in the story that I wrote because and it's not their fault like it's nothing they did it's they suffered these injuries that really inhibited them from showing what I think was going to be a really good weekend, a really good testing weekend, specifically for Lucetta to go through the defensive line drills because he's been split his whole career at linebacker and defensive end to show that he can, you know, that he has banded, that he can work, that he can hand fight, you know what I mean, with some of the offensive linemen. Like, I think that was a lost opportunity. The biggest one I think that sort of has gotten lost in this entire process is Ellis Brooks, who was not invited to the combine. Yeah. Right. And that is, I mean, he's a kid who left early, right? He left college early. He had a year of eligibility left. He decided to move on to enter the NFL draft. We, we, you know, maybe it was to blame the NFL. Maybe it was because he was done with college. We don't really know. We just know his statement said to enter the NFL draft, and he was chasing his dream. And I think this sort of shows whether it was at Penn State or whether it was at another college, like he probably could have used another year back in college football. And now maybe, maybe it doesn't change anything, right? Maybe he's not getting better athletically. Um, but I think the questions for him our athleticism, right, and how good of an athlete he is, how he can operate in space, uh, you know, if he's strong enough, frankly, on, on some level to, to tackle some of the guys he'll have to in the NFL. And I think him not getting this opportunity, like, that's a big detriment for him. Him not getting invited, like, I think he needed the invitation the most among these guys. And him now, he can do it at the pro day, but like we were joking about earlier, like, those numbers are always at least a little bit inflated. Penn State, I think, to their credit, generally better than most schools with the differences from the combine to the pro day, the combine to what they tested at in college. But still a difference, right? They're, they're, it's advantageous. They have an advantageous whistle, an advantageous uh, stopwatch. And I think he is, no matter what he does, it's not going to serve him as well as a weekend in Indianapolis would have served him. And I think, like, he's he's one of those guys, you know, we talk about guys and their decisions to enter the draft. 
I mean, I think he's the most obvious one, right? Like when, when he made the decision, it was like, you don't know if this is the best one. You never know circumstances with his family and everything like that. I want to be clear about that. But strictly from a football perspective, I think he could have done well to have, frankly, another year in college, whether it was a Penn State or, or if he wanted to go elsewhere. I think it is it is worth in that situation pointing out that he is a he was a fifth year senior, yeah. so his clock would have been up anyway. And coming back, especially at linebacker, that's such a physical position. Um, you're kind of run you're running a bit. I mean, he was hurt for half the year, so he knew the injury risk of it. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that he was really hurt by not getting the invite. I think that obviously with the combine, you all the focus is on Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson, but. A lot of those guys, you kind of already know what you're going to get. Yeah, they don't really gain much out of quarterbacks. It's different, but I, I think you're, that's a, that's an excellent point. Like the top of the class, there's not a ton there. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that Brisker or not Brisker Brooks is the type of player that you want to have there because you need to get those numbers. You need to see him in action. You need to sit down with him because he doesn't have the same profile as Brandon Smith or even Jesse Lucetta. Um, So I think that that was good. I mean, he's someone when. Um, uh, when pro day rolls around, it's going to be like, oh yeah, Ellis, like right, like that's here. No one, me- no one's mentioned him. That's like, like I think that's kind of the the point here too. Is that like he's just lost in the shuffle now. It's like when you when you think about the guys because I, I actually did this last night writing the story. Like you're going through in your head like all the guys that participate. It's like I'm forgetting someone. I don't know who it is. And it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, like that's Ellis Brooks left early. You know what I mean? Like and it's. Uh, I think you are right though. I think there's a lot of factors there with the, especially his eligibility clock. Like only having the one year left. Um, you know, the, the injury risk, all of it's, all of it's fair, all of it's valid. Um, and like we said, you never know what's going on in, in, in sort of in his head and why he's making the decision. But I, I just don't know that leaving or if he wants to keep playing football, I guess, I don't know if leaving early was the right answer. Yeah. Well, we'll find out in a couple, couple months. I think yeah, that we like it's seven weeks now. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's March now and the draft's in April. So yeah, it's, I know, it's terrifying. It's so terrifying. I love it though. I love the NFL draft. Uh, it is one of my favorite things because it, uh, gives me all the optimism I need that the Eagles aren't going to make me hate myself <laughs> in October. And then they do it anyways. They fully will. Yeah. We you know. will, you will despise yourself. You'll despise the, now you'll never despise the Eagles. Nah, I mean there are circumstances. Yeah. Daniel, what's your team? Who's your team? I'm a, a, pa- I'm he's a Packers, Packers fan, fan. Okay, which so is a whole different yeah, okay. conversation. We don't have. need to worry. Yeah, about let's that. we can right. let's move on before we start but, yeah, deep down that. I, I have my own issues. Yeah. With that. <laughs> before we do move on, I want to know what would each of your best combine drills be? Like, I want to know because I feel like mine would be what I would do well. In? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I, could, do I, they I don't know what I would stuff? do actually. <laughs> no, I don't know. Not the bench, that's for sure. Mine would not be the bench. Yeah. Five years ago, mine might have been the bench, which is not a good sign Like that I would do well in any of these drills. Um, oh, man. I think I might do well in the run, any of the running ones. Just because I, I got nothing I to hold it me would, back in it the would, Like My 10-yard split might not be that bad, but the 35-yard split, I'm going to be better. Like, by the time <laughs> I'm hitting the 30, like I'm begging for an inhaler at that point and like asking for help. Someone's wheeling me to the end of the finish line. Honestly, like... It, it might be like the, the throwing drills. Like I always had a decent enough arm. It was never, I'm, I'm not, it's not good like, to be clear, but like it was John like, is going like I would, imbe- oh my God. Yes. Like, I would embarrass myself. The absolute least I think is the best way to characterize it. Probably in some of the, the short area throwing drills. Last year uh, on the Eagles beat, Jimmy Kemsky was doing a mailbag of uh, who would be the who would be the best at each combine drill on the Eagles beat. I remember reading this. And he, he said that I might be, uh, on the better side of the 40 because I ran a sub five minute mile in, in high go. school. A sub five minute. Oh yeah. God. That was, that was 
Kemsky's reasoning for it. I mean, that's pretty like, good reasoning. Yeah, but some five minutes. I was like, I was like, I'm not this. I'm not built for speed. Yeah, I was yeah. built for for getting it going. But cross country um, boys can't do sprints. No, 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 we cannot. That is true. Uh, <laughs> even though my uh, my high school's four by four record uh, was set by three members of the cross country team and a sprinter, and the sprinter had the slow split. Oh, so, that's impressive. That's uh, that's very impressive. Anyone well, on any I, day? Right? I take back. Mm-hmm. You know what I would do well? I would do all of the podium sessions. I would answer those questions oh, yeah. so well. Oh, I would kill it there. They would really love you. The, would you... The, the in-person interviews would be miserable, though. All those teams would hate me so so much. I'm so arrogant. Well, how, how would you do with the Eagles uh, playing the, oh, the mini-hoop? The, the mini-hoop? See, that's tough because, like, those mini-hoops are really difficult because the ball is small, and, and so you, you, your hand is, like, you're gripping it too much, and you're shooting down. I think I would do decently well from all of the like the dunking on the mini hoop in my doorway when I was a kid, but like and like shooting on it. But I like that the Eagles do those things. I think it's fun. Like I don't think they're they're all relatively harmless. But I think rock, paper, scissors, I would crush it. Like what they did last year, I would dominate at rock, paper, scissors. Nobody would stand a chance. I don't lose. Yeah, I, if if it was the the mini hoop, I'd have to play on my knees because that's like yeah. I think that's the best way to handle it because if you're standing up, you're like throwing down. There's too much velocity on it. Yeah. Well, mini hoop into a big hoop. There it Let's is. What a transition. Well done, Noah. Yeah. Well, obviously, basketball is coming to coming to a almost a close here for An the unfortunate season. close. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Um, we have. The Rutgers loss, let's start with that. A one-point loss to Rutgers at Jersey Mike's Arena. At the rack. At the rack. But, okay, Jersey Mike's Arena. Let's be real. We've talked about this. Yeah, but I want to call it the rack. It's so much better. I did eat Jersey Mike's yesterday, so that might have been why they lost. But anyway, I'll toss it to you, John. What happened? What does this tell us? I mean, this is like, I think Daniel might agree with this. This is kind of the story of this team all year on the road. Right, like they get close, they get really close, and or or they have the bad stretch, and then they get close, and they can't sort of close the deal. And I don't think like it's indicative that they're like bad in crunch time. I think it's indicative that it's the thing that I say every single week on this podcast. It's really, really hard to win on the road in the Big Ten, and it's really hard to do it at the rack more than anywhere else. It seems based on some of the results there. Uh, I mean, they just don't make enough shots. They they don't have uh, enough shooting. They don't have enough ball handling. It's the same issues that it's been all season. Uh, and it reared its ugly head late when they, the, the final possession of the game, uh, Jelani White, I think, tips the inbound pass. It goes to Seth Lundy, who doesn't do a lot with it, passes it to Sam Sessoms near half court, who creates a low percentage shot, even though he had like six or seven seconds to work with. And I think that's just kind of indicative of where, where they are offensively, right? And I don't think that's anyone's fault. Like, they're 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 doing what they can. They're just not athletically gifted enough. It's not their skill set. It's not what they do. They just need a skill set on this roster that they don't have. And I think, you know, just like it has all years, or Sunday's away game was another indication of that. It was a bizarre end of game situation yes, where I don't necessarily think you have the the play for that. Right. I think obviously you're playing for the steal. You want to get the ball back, but it was just kind of a a weird little. Uh, mechanism for the ball just to suddenly end up and uh, my colleague Dave Jones was there and and he wrote that almost that it seemed like Lundy was surprised that he had the ball and he didn't and he froze and didn't exactly know where to go with it right away which which cost them about a second or so and then 
uh, it the it kind of got going, and you know I'm I'm fine with Sessoms having the ball in his hand at that point. Yeah. He's he just before he'd hit the three pointer uh, to make it a one point game, and so I think it was just one of those things where it they've just been so close all year, and they don't have the the guy that can make those one or two shots that flip these from one point losses to three or four point wins. Yeah, and I think Pickett is the closest thing to that guy. Um, I just don't think he is athletic enough to always get that shot off, right? Like, he can get a shot off, but, like, I don't know if it's ever going to be as high percentage of a look as you want it to be. Um, it, it's funny you mentioned the sort of way that played out. You almost wonder if they'd have been better off not getting the steal, fouling them, and then setting something up to try and get a three to send it to overtime. You know what I mean? Like, you obviously want to get the ball with a chance to win, but because of the way it happened, you almost feel like they'd be better off, like, being, having the chance to slow down, having the chance to figure out what they want to do. And what we know about Micah Shrewsbury as an offensive play caller, the play, the, the ATOs we've seen him draw up, like he's excellent. I feel confident that Seth Lundy's probably getting an open three or at least a slightly contested three at the buzzer if they have to draw up a three even going full court. Um, and, and you could almost see the uh, – like he was almost like, uh-oh. Like once he realized <laughs> – you know what I mean? Once they got the steal because like he was like trying to direct guys but he didn't have enough time to direct him. He's like telling Seth Lundy like turn around because he's facing away from the basket uh, when he gets the ball. But, yeah, I think – it, it is unfortunate for Penn State that that ended the way it did. I don't think it's going to change all that much. It changed their when they play in the Big Ten tournament. But, like, big picture, I don't know that it really changes, you know, their their chances of winning the Big Ten tournament because – and uh, John Harrow mentioned today that he hates when people talk about you have an easy bracket. But I'll go ahead and say it. They kind of have the easiest road they could <laughs> want or the, the most ideal road, I should say, like in the Big Ten tournament. So I don't know if the loss, like, is ultimately going to be, be overly detrimental in, in either direction. Yeah, I think that it's just kind of a, another building block kind of in terms of the, uh, or not building block, but just another, the weight of just all of these close losses. I think that I tried to get at it today with some of the things I was asking them in terms of like, this week has been a lot. Like you go from Northwestern, you went on senior day, then you turn around, get throttled by Nebraska, then you just go cold inexplicably against Illinois on the road for a close loss. Then you lose at Rutgers in this way that it's just such a swing and that it's, and it, it's not like they can't get out of their own way or anything like that. It's just kind of the, the it's been bizarre almost by, by how all of this has gone. But I think going to Indianapolis playing Minnesota, who is not good. Um, it'll give them, a, I think a nice little chance to, to reset and kind of look at the road that's in front of them. Yeah, and, and I think the it's, it's funny, if you flip and you can say this about 100 teams across the country, 300 teams across the country, about 1,000 different games, but if, like, they steal Illinois and steal Rutgers, like, the conversation, which they, they were very, very, very close to doing on both occasions, I don't think it's crazy to say that they could have, we're having a very different conversation right now, right? Like, just those two games goes from, yeah, you got nothing to play for and, and nothing to lose, which is, you know, they, they talked about a little bit today at the press conference, uh, Shrewsbury, Pickett, and Hera. Uh, you go from that to, like, oh, if we win two games, we might be in the NCAA tournament. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you were, you were suddenly, like, having a real conversation about uh, where you're at big picture. And so it, I think it, it just sort of shows that they're not that far off. Um, and, and, you know, I've talked about on, on this podcast in the past and, and even, you know, privately to you, Daniel, like, I don't think they're that far away from getting where they want to go. I do think it's going to be interesting because the talent will probably increase next year, but the experience will obviously take a steep drop off. Yep. And you wonder how the give and take of that, like 
next year they might look like a better team and they might end up with a similar result. Like I don't think it's that crazy that they go 7 and 13, 8 and 12 in the Big 10 next year, but you walk away from it going like, "Oh, that was a fun team to watch." Like did you see like and, and like but again it's sort of what they're doing this year, right? Like it's almost like the same results but it's more promising because it's the youth doing it rather than you know, the, the sort of old heads on the team that they've got this year. They've got a bunch of guys that uh, are near or out of eligibility after this season. So I do think the the down-the-road calculus is is sort of really interesting uh, in the context of, of talent because they're getting it, but they're not getting it sort of quick enough, right? Like they would have to hit the transfer portal and get the, you know, an All-American guy or, or like a, an, an all, another all-conference guy to sort of bridge that gap between experience and talent. And, I mean, who knows? They, they did well in the portal this year, but – I do think that it'll look better next year, but it might not actually be better. It's going to be very, it's going to be nonlinear, any sort of improvement that they have, um, because it's going to be, because they don't have any freshmen on the roster this year. And like Dallian Johnson and Caleb Dorsey, those are the young guys. And Johnson's taken step forwards. Dorsey's shown a little bit here and there. Um, So you're kind of slowly inching that up and just kind of the the flip that's going to happen when all these older guys leave. It's kind of like, it's just going to be really interesting to watch. And I think that you're right in that this team could finish with the same exact record next year. But if you're really watching and really paying attention, you're going to come away from it ready and being like, all right, like this is, this is on, on the upswing. I think there is a legitimate chance. And and again, we have to see how the transfer portal goes. Guys could leave, guys could come back, guys could uh, come in from other schools. I think there is a pretty good chance that they're – I would be surprised if they're not an NCAA tournament team by year four. I think they've got a good shot at it in year three. I think they have a chance at the NIT next year, much like they – I mean, looking back, they had a chance at the NIT this year, right? Yeah. And and so I think – and still do, honestly. They go a deep enough run. It's highly unlikely, but they still have a chance at it. Um, but I, I think they uh, – you know, are, are going to be in a position to sort of, you know, like we said, be in the same position, but but be much better off for it in the future. Yeah, I think the one a stat that really stood out to me was in the post game notes yesterday. It said that thirteen of the twenty Big Ten games have all been seven po- have been seven points or less, and they're five and eight in those games, which isn't the, it's not the most biggest disparity you could have. It's not like they went one and twelve in these uh, in these tight games, but. If you go from five and eight to just even just six and seven, if it's Purdue or Illinois or that game at Ohio State, um, or if you can even flip it to seven and six, if you can get closer to the the even 50-50 split that that is the mean, um, it could look a lot different this year. So, uh, but that's the thing where you go forward, they were in all these tight games this year. A lot of that had to do with Jalen Pickett. Uh, these John Hara, Greg Lee, these older guys who wouldn't lose their head or panic, and that really kept them in some of these games. How's that going to play next year when it's a bunch of freshmen? Yeah, and I think Pickett's going to be really important next year. Um, you know, as as uh, we reported when you know Jalen told us that that he's planning on being back next year, he's going to be the guy next year. He was pretty much the guy this year, but from a cultural standpoint, it was still Hera. Yeah. Um, but I think he's clearly their best player next year. And I think he's going to have a lot on his shoulders. Uh, but I know we want to talk about the big 10 tournament here a little bit. So Noah, yeah. I will allow you to direct us wherever you would like. Yeah. Let's, let's jump into that. Obviously Penn state starting off the tournament, uh, playing Minnesota a team that is less than good is <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a, an adequate, it's generous. Yeah. That's it's a, a little generous. generous, a team that is in fact a team, 
Um, that is happening at uh, what time is that I, game I, tipping? It's I guess 30, minutes 30 minutes after, after the after. 6.30 tip on Wednesday, which so I, it'll probably be like 9, 9.30. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that they like put that as 8.30 is uh, very that's, There's thing. no yeah. chance. No way. That game's tipping at like 9.30. Yeah. Ugh. So Big Ten after dark? Yes. Ooh, oh, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Penn State's going to be the late game this week no matter what because mm-hmm. the, yep. the 11-14 always, no matter how far you make it, like – you are the late matchup because they, they always have it as the last game of the first day. So then they want to keep it consistent and keep going the last day. Is that, is the there last any, game. I wonder what's the stats on uh Penn state playing super late at night. Cause well, there was the one game this season that we left at like three in the morning. I think that was Miami. The, the big 10 ACC challenge. They lost that game. I remember that. Cause that was like a nine o'clock tip. That was, Michigan, Michigan was, was a late nine tip. o'clock Michigan, tip yeah. as well. They lost both those. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, well. Doesn't bode well. <laughs> Looking good for the golden gophers. Yeah. And they lost that, uh, the eight thirty Eastern Saturday night, just gross, uh, gross schedule at Minnesota. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So we, we've got even the, the common opponent here. Uh, yeah. we know how it went. So womp womp. yeah, not, <laughs> not looking great based on that track record. Well, they but, are old. They are all old men. Yeah. So that well, makes sense. As I had in that story, Jalen's got to take his midday naps. You know, he's just he's got to take <laughs> his midday midday nap at five thirty. Yeah, now. he's he's gonna like walk out there like yawning like four or five times in his pajamas still, uh, and still probably drop like fifteen to twenty. Does he have like basketballs on his pajamas? Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> I assume he does. <laughs> I assume he does. Yeah, let's talk about that Minnesota game though a little bit. You know, what are we looking at? What is it? Let's say they win that game. Who are they playing? What is the outlook on that game as well? Yeah, so just sort of the lay of the land here. So if Penn State beats Minnesota, they would then play again late at night against Ohio State. And if they beat Ohio State, they would again play late at night, this time against Purdue. And I think, like, that kind of bodes well. I said this earlier for Penn State because none of those top four teams other than Rutgers, who it was impossible for them to play in the in the uh, in the third round based on sort of how the brackets were going to fall because if Penn State had won, Rutgers wouldn't have gotten the double bye. They lose, obviously. They can't face them. Uh, I think this might sound crazy, but Purdue might be the team they want to face most out of that group, right? Like, you can get Zach Eady in foul trouble. Seth Lundy did well against Jaden Ivey the first time they played. Micah Shrewsbury knows them better than anyone else. Like, it is there's that sort of psychological advantage. And Purdue doesn't have a ton to play for. Like, they're really good. They're going to be in the NCAA tournament. They're probably going to have a chance to make a deep run. Like, we've seen teams mail it in. I'm not saying they're going to mail it in, but... Like there's a difference between team on the bubble fighting for a spot in the NCAA tournament and Purdue. Like it'd be cool if we win the Big Ten. Like right, because <laughs> that's that's sort of where they're at. And it's a warm up. Yeah, right. It, it's you want to get some you want to get some shots up before you go play in uh, you know middle of nowhere at like two in the afternoon on a Thursday, and uh, the first game of the NCAA tournament. But I, I do think this Minnesota game is is one that Penn State should win. Right, like they they lost in Minnesota, but it's again hard to win on the road. And they're just better than Minnesota uh, on a level that is... It was Penn State's best game all season, I think, when they played Minnesota, their most well-rounded performance. They're more talented. I think Ben Johnson's a good coach, but I think Micah Shrewsbury's a better coach based on the small sample sizes we've seen out of both. And, and like, it's... I mean, if they lose this game, it is... It, I mean, it would, be, it would be a rough look to end John Harris' career sort of with that loss. It would be a rough look for this team for all the goodwill they've built up to lose to Minnesota in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. It's just like, and usually when I say that they're going to win a game, like I said, when Penn State football was going to beat Illinois and it wasn't going to be close uh, (laughs) and then got cool takes exposed for it, uh, 
generally when I say these things, it goes the other way. So my apologies to any Penn State fans for ruining the game Wednesday night. But I, I mean, they should they should win going away. Like this one should not be particularly close. Yeah, I think that Penn State should at least. I think it wouldn't be a surprise if it's a ten to fifteen point win. I don't think it would be as dominant as that game at the BJC was, just because of the circumstances of that game. Four p.m. on a Thursday after both teams had just played. Um, I think that that was kind of a, a perfect storm for Penn State to really put things together against them. But I think you're right about the big picture is that it really sets up nicely for Penn State. I had a I had a mailbag question today that was like, oh, like can Penn State play spoiler for anyone um, that's on the bubble? And not really. I mean, you look at you look at the bracket and if they were to somehow get to the semifinals, they I guess Michigan State, you could consider a bubble team. But if Michigan State gets to the semifinals, that's probably enough to, to put them in. Right. And I think um, Indiana might fall in that group, too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's there's not really anyone there that they can really knock off. I mean, I think Ohio State is pretty set. Purdue is obviously set. So those teams, obviously, they want to win the conference championship. They, they also don't want to lose to Penn State because right. it's not a good look. Um, yeah. And they want to go in on as high of a note as you can. But it is kind of it is interesting that the mindset where Penn State is going to be the team that has nothing to lose. I think the Ohio State, like a third Ohio State game would be really interesting because they had a legit shot in that second game back in January. That was the one game that Seth Lundy missed. And it's a five point game. And I personally think Seth Lundy is worth a five-point swing. Oh, I, um, I think without a doubt, especially in g- given his role on this team, yes. the, the defense and the shooter. Like, he is their best three-point shooter. I, I, Miles Dredd shoots a better percentage. I trust Lundy to get it off uh, over guys. I trust him to be more a more willing shooter. And like, he's yeah, he's not going to stop defense. shooting. Yeah, he will, he, he will keep shooting regardless of how many he misses. Yeah, and I think that he's someone where that's kind of – when you talk about the the single digit losses they have and and if you can flip a couple of them, I think that that's the one that really, really stands out as if Lundy doesn't have kind of the the sudden injury, then it, they, they would be in a a bit of a different situation. But personally, I wanted, I kind of wanted to see Penn state play Nebraska again, just because, yeah, but we don't know if Bryce McGowan's is going to go though. Yeah. But I just wanted to see how, how Shrewsbury would adjust after getting kind of pants for lack of a better term last week to kind of see. Well, Wisconsin got it too. <laughs> like in McGowan's didn't even play in that one. Yeah. A lot of people were getting the, the Fred Hoiberg experience over the past week, uh, which I don't think any of us saw coming. Yeah. Well, and um, like, and it goes, I've, I think I said this last week on the pod and I know I've said it to you, Daniel, like they should just be better than this. Like they're yeah. too talented. Their head coach is too good of a coach. Like how are they, this bad and like the bottom of the conference and like teams are blowing them out left and right. And of course I start saying that and then suddenly they pop off for three straight games and here we are. And I'm very excited to cover the Nebraska Penn state big 10 final on Sunday. <laughs> I was just, I was just about to say, I, I think the, the stars might be aligning. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and that's what I, I think what you said about like uh, teams not having anything to play for in a major way is a good point, right? Like Michigan state, like you said, is a potential semifinal is, in if they're there indiana if they play them in the final is in if they're there same with michigan like they're going to play the most i don't want to say lethargic but the teams that like definitely care the least about what is happening on the court that day um guys try hard to win they're not going to like roll over and give up but and honestly penn state might not make it out of wednesday night yep. but i do think if you were to draw up a path where they some way 
somehow win five games in five days. This is what it looks like, right? Is it going to happen? No. <laughs> but, like, I mean, if, if you're going to do it, that's what it looks like. Uh, Micah Shrewsbury is going to eat you alive for that take. <laughs> listen, I can't wait to get cold takes exposed again when they inevitably win on Sunday and are, like, a, a seven seed in the NCAA uh, tournament. I think the one thing that you can guarantee is that if they do win uh, five games in five days, Jalen Pickett will have played all 200 oh, yeah. minutes. <laughs> I was yeah, going to say, honestly, they might try and sneak an extra minute in of the yeah. game just to get him to, t- to 201 minutes. Uh, I asked him about it today. I mean, he, he made a good point. Uh, he's He doesn't care right now, right? Like, he's just playing. Like, he'll figure it out after the game's over. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that kid is going to play so many minutes. It's like whatever, whatever number of games, just multiply it by 40. Cause that's how many minutes he's playing. Mm-hmm. So what he's done most of the year and to his credit, like he really hasn't, he's had ups and downs, but he doesn't look that tired. Right. Like it must yeah. be those mid afternoon naps. I assume. <laughs> yeah. Back to the AAU days, you know, playing oh, yeah. 400,000 minutes, yeah, 12, 12 games in like six hours somehow. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess let's let's just jump in a little bit to predictions because I want to get a definitive where you think this is going to end. He where just the wants to roast us later, Daniel. Don't fall for this. He's just going to put it on Twitter <laughs> when we're wrong. Trap. Yeah, this is a trap. I fall in for this every time. This is what our fans want, John. Okay, This fine. is what our fans want. Fine, fine, so, fine. Uh, as as the guest, Daniel, we'll let you go first. <laughs> Welcome to the Lion's Lair where you will be eaten alive. Congrats on getting roasted first on Twitter, too. Um... I mean, I see them. I see them beating Minnesota. Um, I'll go out on the limb and say if they get to Ohio State, they beat Ohio State, lose to Purdue on Friday night. I think that that's kind of that. That'll be me sticking my neck out there a little bit. I'm glad you did that because that's exactly what I was going to say. So now when I say it, it doesn't seem as like <laughs> like like oh look at this idiot. No, I think I think they should beat Minnesota. Like I said. I mean, they, they should have beaten Ohio State in Columbus. Uh, and Ohio State's good, not great. Like, they're susceptible. And I think Penn State can reasonably win that game. And I'll go a step further and say that their loss to Purdue is by less than five. I was going to say less than ten. So mm, you, you, can there we go. Up, you can one-up there we me go. there. Now the roasting will be even more aggressive in my direction. Well, here, just to balance it out, I'll give my take as a absolutely Getting nobody. bounced Wednesday. They are, they are losing <laughs> – in the final that's it (laughs) they're losing in the final i don't know who knows well that's gonna do it for today thank you for listening to the lion's lair john you're last daniel where can people find you uh you can read my work at www.penlive.com slash penn state football and you can follow me on twitter at daniel jt gallon and at various other social medias at daniel jt gallon or at by daniel jt gallon you'll you'll all end up at the same place (laughs) and you mentioned another podcast what podcast are you on uh that's the blue white breakdown Uh, i do it every uh, Thursday and Friday with Bob Flounders and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Um, and there are a couple other episodes uh, of it during the week. So Amazing. Give, give the vocal cords a workout. Yeah, go get, go. If you have not, it, honestly, you don't get enough fix from John here. So go check out that podcast. John, where can people find you at? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at John Sauber on Twitter, J O N S A U B E R. Of course, all of our writing is at centerdaily.com, C E N T R E daily.com can subscribe at senderdaily.com backslash sports podcast for i believe 30 dollars a year for sports only access uh which I, I think is a 20 dollar discount um and just to to flex for him daniel does great work go read his work go listen to his podcast he does an excellent job well thank you all for listening again i'm noah rife you can follow me online at noah rife and we will see you all next week enjoy the tournament peace